In early spring 2011, we took a walk through Burns Park, a small park adjacent to an Ann Arbor Elementary School's playground area. The playground space offered an array of different options for the Burns Park Elementary School recess participants, with basketball courts, tetherball posts, four-square areas, jungle gyms, swings, a field for soccer, and both grassy and paved patches on which the children could sit or stand. At first glance, we were convinced that, given our current immersion in research in young children's behavior, we were simply projecting our expectations onto what we were seeing. But a closer look at the division of activities on the playground led us to realize that we were not imagining things. Of all the groupings, ranging from a single student wandering the play space without an immediately discernible reason or purpose, to a group of 10 to 12 boys playing an organized game of basketball, we saw only one instance of gender mixing. One girl, probably about 10 years old, had chosen to participate in a game of soccer on one of the grassy patches, making herself the only girl in a game of around 10 total students. That one girl's choice to spend her recess among a group of boys represented the only deviation from the otherwise strict gender segregation that we could see. In addition to the physical separation of play among boys and girl, the types of activities pursued by each gender group varied significantly. First, there was the difference in the size of the groups partaking in each activity. Overall, we noticed the boys playing in much larger groups, often ten or more of them split into multiple teams and playing organized games. Of a total group of approximately 80 children, we could only spot a handful of boys in groups of three or fewer. The games that these boys played were already created, their rules known by everyone who decided to play, as opposed to being any local and spontaneous invention by the boys themselves. They played basketball, soccer, and baseball, all games that would be easily recognized and named by any onlooker, activities that had become deeply institutionalized in the quotidian culture of contemporary American life. It was not a warm day, and we wore warm jackets for the walk, but most of the boys had, since recess started, tied their coats around their waists or abandoned them in a heap on the ground. The boys' activities were fast-paced and physically demanding enough to compel them to ditch their jackets and roll up their sleeves, while most of the girls were wandering the area and wearing parkas and gloves. After a close scouring of the playground, we found that most of the girls were divided into groups of two to three. In no cases do we recall a group of more than five. There was a lot of walking and talking between these small groups, with no clear activities or games being pursued. In some cases, the group would be on the swings or the jungle gym, but the activity or physical hardware seemed to serve as a backdrop to the primary purpose of talking to the others in the group. Often the girls would be sitting on a bench or on the ground. There was not one instance that day of any large group of girls splitting into distinctive teams or pursuing any detectable goals, save the principal one of chatting and socializing with each other. We did not venture close enough to any of these young females' conversations to glean their primary themes or topics. Gossip? 
role-playing, individual storytelling, nor did we get to witness the original formation of the boys' teams or decipher much of the levels of competition between them. But the visuals we did garner that day served as shockingly blatant representations of those principles of young children's activities about which we had previously only read from scholarly sources.